The following audio is from Gold Country Baptist Church in Shingle Springs, California. Visit gcb.church to find more resources and to learn about our church. I want you to consider as we begin this morning, are you growing spiritually? Can you look back on this past year and see how the Lord has grown you spiritually and is growing you? And can you also see an area where you need to keep growing? Is there an area of complacency in your heart here this morning? I don't know what you think of when you hear the word revival. You Maybe you don't think about that word a lot, or maybe you don't think about revival and God's law, those words going together. Maybe you hear the word revival, you think of a big tent, you think of a crusade, you think of a big event, you think of revivalism. Is revival something that man can plan or produce? Is it just a matter of means and methods? That's what Charles Charles Finney taught a couple centuries ago, wrongly. But if revival is a sovereign work of God, as as I believe it is, should we pray for revival? Do we need reviving? Do you, as an individual, need reviving? To some, revival isn't wanted. I've heard some Christians say, we don't need revival, we're spiritually fine. And to others, revival evokes images of weird experiences But I'm using the word revival for God's moving and renewing spiritual life and growth in a greater way. So when I'm talking about revival or reviving, I'm talking about God moving and renewing spiritual life and spiritual growth in a greater way. And when we think about that, don't think of just big things. Think about that starting in a small place, in your heart, but then it can have a big impact in your life and on others around you. We read earlier Psalm 85, restore us again. Revive us again, O God. And Psalm 119 was read earlier, that that you would open our eyes that we might see wonderful things in your law. There's things that we don't see as as wonderful. We can be spiritually dry and dull. Psalm 119 that was read earlier uses the word revive personally and spiritually more than any other place. Revive me repeatedly, and it's according to God's law and God's ways. Psalm 119.37, revive me in your ways. We need God to revive us, to stir, to awaken us from apathy, from lethargy, from any complacency, so that we would live more for him in 2024. We regularly need to be reinvigorated. We need to re-engage. Some of you need to re-engage spiritually. I grew up in churches singing, revive us again. Fill each heart with thy love. May each soul be rekindled with fire from above. Hallelujah, amen, revive us again. And my mom and my sister, I'm sure will remember with me, my dad many times playing on guitar this song, The Holy Spirit Came at Pentecost. He came in mighty fullness. Then the early, the, his witness through believers won the lost and multitudes were born again. The early Christians scattered through the world. 
They preached the gospel fearlessly. Though some were martyred and to lions hurled, they marched forth into victory. Then in an age when darkness gripped the earth, the just shall live by faith was learned. The Holy Spirit gave the church new birth as Reformation fires burned. In later years, the great revivals came when men would seek the Lord and pray. Oh, once again, we need that holy flame to meet the challenge of today. Come, Holy Spirit, dark is the hour. We need thy love and thy mighty power, and your feeling move now among us. Stir us, we pray. Holy Spirit, revive your church today. We need that today. God's Spirit already came at Pentecost to indwell believers, but we need continual filling and reviving through God's Spirit. Modern churches need the Spirit to move in love and light in our dark, challenging days. And so as we look to the days ahead in this next year, let's also look to his empowerment. Let's, let's look to his inflaming. Let's look to live more on fire for him this next year than we did this last year. And to pray that he would long and long for that we would stir and move among us. And that he would bring fresh reformation and revival again, we pray. Don't let your light go out. Paul said to Timothy, you need to fan into a flame. You need to kindle afresh God's gift. God's word is spoken of as a fire that we need to inflame us like a, like a, a burn pile as his spirit blows on us. And along with God's sovereignty is our responsibility. That's the prayer of Psalm 85 that was read. Revive us again. And then it goes on from that to say, let me hear what God will speak. So that's my prayer, that we'll hear God speak today, that he will revive us in the days and year ahead. Reviving comes from hearing the word of God. Faith comes by hearing. Faith grows by hearing the word as we come to it in the right way. And so as we come to this new year, let's also recommit to come prayerfully, to, to be praying more, even for our hearts as we come to God's word personally and corporately to rekindle us. Let's come to hear and heed God's word. This is not just something we go through the motions, that we need God to change us so that we would better listen and live by the book. We need God's help to take in his word for more benefit this next year. God help us, and revival can happen when a hungry and humble soul asks for more of God's book. Psalm 19, verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. There's something about God's law that can revive our souls. There was a recent conference on the book of Exodus, and there was a, a session where the speaker was talking about reaching this generation of, of young people, and he said this that struck me. I want to explain why the preaching of the law, Exodus 20 and following, might be one of the most important things that you can do with this generation. He says one of his seminary professors at Southeastern Seminary claimed that ever, every major awakening in America had as a crucial part of it a renewal of the preaching of the Ten Commandments. 
If you study the, the history of that, he says, I want you to see why this is and why it will undoubtedly be central also in our next awakening, Lord willing. We're going to be preaching through God's law in Exodus next year. But how should we receive God's law? How, do we, how are we called to receive God's word? best place to see that is Nehemiah chapter 8. If you would turn there, we're going to see them, how they heard the preaching of the book of Exodus and the impact that it had on them. We, we can look at Whitfield and Wesley, how they preached the law and revivals, how Luther revived the balance of law and gospel in the Reformation. But I want to go much farther back than all of that in Bible times as Israel is in Nehemiah returning to the land after a long captivity in Babylon. The year is 445 BC. So this is as they come to the close of the Old Testament, they've been in captivity and now tens of thousands of them have come back. Nehemiah may not be as familiar to some of you. If you, if you go right in the middle of the Bible, the book of Psalms, it's just three books back from that. It's before Esther and Job, but it's a, it's a powerful story of how as Israel rebuilt the wall as they're coming back, God at the same time is going to revive them in the word in Jerusalem. And it would come through reading and heeding the law of Moses starting in Exodus. God's commandments were going to be brought to bear in the public square. And we can see what can happen when that happens. And it says in Nehemiah 8, verse 5, as the book was opened, all the people stood. And in that pattern, if you can, one more time, I want to ask if you would please stand as I read this passage. I don't think we can read this passage sitting, and I think you'll see what I mean. Nehemiah 8, verse 1. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. And so Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard. In other words, all the children were there as well. On the first day of the seventh month, and he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. Just pause there and picture, there's thousands Many thousands, maybe tens of thousands of people, they're all gathered in the square. And I learned that the seventh month is one of the times when the Jews marked the new year in the fall. And so verse 2 says it was the first day. So this was a day marking a new year for the Jewish people and a new era. And it was a thousand years after the Exodus. So 1445 BC is the Exodus now. A thousand years later, they're going to hear the preaching of God's law. Verse 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen. Also, uh, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Benai, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalita, Azariah, Jazabad, Hanan, Peliah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly 
And they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest, and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to the Lord, and do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. This is God's word. You can be seated. This was a new year for them. This was a new day, a new era, and there was a celebration Because they understood God's word. There was a declaration of scripture and they understood it. And this is my prayer and hope that I've been praying this week for this next year. That as we read, as we teach through the next part of God's law, that God would do some of this among us. And in your heart, last week we saw how we're redeemed under the law. This week how we can be revived in the law. Pastor Corey mentioned earlier, our our first couple messages are going to be focusing on the Word of God. He's going to be continuing in 1 Peter 2, or this this wonderful section about hungering for God's Word. We're learning about hearing God's Word here today, but as a, a baby longs for the milk of the Word, we're to long for God's, for the milk of the Word to grow in hearing God's word, so whether it's in First Peter or whether it's in Exodus or, or other speakers, we want to bring the book. This is really our marching orders. This is why we do what we do. This is the, the model here that we would read the book, that we would help to give understanding so that you have a sense of what it's saying and what it's saying to you. Expository preaching is exposing a, a text and, and drawing out, not reading into, but drawing out the meaning that is there, explaining from it, exhorting from it. Exposition is expounding what it meant in the original context and then applying it today and having the passage drive the message where, where the point we're drawing from the Bible writer's point. And part of an expositional teaching here is defining what words mean in context and then what those words mean for us, which we see here in this passage. The call is bring the book. It's not bring man's ideas or man's agenda, man's hobby horses. It's bringing the book. And one of the things we do regularly here is, is teaching through the book, in particular books of the Bible, consecutive exposition where you're going section by section, chapter by chapter through a book. And there's places for other studies and and expositing a theme or looking at different scriptures, how they all tie together something from a a passage, the point of it. We looked at slavery a couple of weeks along those lines. But what God has blessed since the time of Nehemiah is, is going through books and starting with the book of Moses and so verses 7 through 8 are, are naming men who, who helped understand it all. I mean, we read some of this. It's hard to even know how to pronounce the, the names. And, and, and they're reading through, and there's things that were hard for them to understand. 
One of the things that might help you is when you come to names like that, what I do is I just read quickly and confidently. So <laughs> you just go for it. But, but the most important thing is not how their name was pronounced back then, but there's truths, there's key words that we need to study. And the Levites in verse 9 were, were teaching the, the people. And verse 12 ends with declaring the words of the book so they're understood and, and so that they could actually rejoice in what they were hearing. The text was read clearly. The text was rightly divided. And there was a response it called for. And when they noticed the people kept grieving, they, they said, don't grieve. Don't grieve. This God here actually wants you to rejoice. And, and that's very much what we see from over 2,500 years ago. What we, as a ministry, even today, all around the world, this is our goal here in different places that we would have, whether it's studies or small groups or classes you heard announced earlier, ministries that were helping each other, or discipleship, helping each other grasp and apply Scripture. To, to give the sense of it, to help live in the joy of the Lord that is their strength. There's people around you even right now who need to hear that and need help with that to see how the joy of the Lord can strengthen and sustain them with what they're going through. We want to give the sense, but also give that strength. So where are you in this process? Because what we've read here, there's New Testament commands that also command us to to live out these same principles. And so I want to ask you again, how are you growing and how can you grow more? What is is your plan to grow more next year? Is is revival in your heart something you need in your soul? And I want to suggest to you, and actually right from the text here, I think there's several observations that the writer intended for people to learn from. And the first is that we would listen like they did, that we would listen attentively. God blessed this time, and I think the first blessing we see there is that they listened attentively. If we're going to have a revival in our hearts and listening to and living the book, we need to come this way as well. End of verse 3, it says, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. There was nothing more important to them. When God's word was open, when God's word was read, they were giving it their full attention. They stood at attention. And they stood for a long time. They gave it their full, undivided focus. One translation says, they gathered to give attention to the words of the law. They gathered as one man or as one mind. It reminds me of what it says about the early church. They gathered as one mind or as one accord. And they were continually devoting themselves to, the first thing it mentions is the teaching in Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 6 verse 4, their leader says, we will Give attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. So along with the word, we need to give attention to prayer. You you need to pray before you read God's word in the morning. You need to pray for yourself as you come to church. Even that alone, praying for your heart the night before, praying as you come is an important part of our growth and our attention. There's so many things that can distract us. We need God's help that we would benefit from the word. Acts 17.11 describes some in Thessalonica who received the word with great eagerness. And they were examining the scriptures for themselves daily. Here's Acts 10.33. 
We sent, they're saying this to Peter, we sent for you immediately and you have been kind enough to come. Now then, we are all here present before God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. That was Cornelius and his family. God blessed them as they came eager to hear. Revival starts with hearing the Bible. The word must be central in our attention, in our affections. 2 Timothy 4.13, here's another New Testament command. Give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. This is something we need to give attention to. When God's Word is open, when it's read, when it's spoken, we need to give it our attention and exhortation and, and teaching. I think also is he's building on this pattern from Nehemiah. You notice no one had to ask them to come to the book. They're actually asking the book to be brought to them. They're all gathering outside and they're standing there and they're waiting and they're saying, bring the book, bring the book. I think it was Ian Gallagher who was describing one of the times in the UK in a time when God was moving among his people and he, he came to this village and the, one of the people said, is there any way you could come down to the, pre, to, the, to the church right now? Because there's a whole bunch of people gathered there and they're asking, is there someone here who can preach to us? They were gathered and waiting. They weren't going to go home. They were saying, can, can someone give the word of God to us more? This is what was happening here. This wasn't just a, a, a gathering for some social concerns about how Jerusalem was being rebuilt. There was a governor helping with that and there were other things with that, this wasn't, though, a rally to change laws. This was, this was a request to hear God's law so that it could change them. They weren't so concerned about the, the pagans out there and, and how things were being difficult for them. They, they wanted God's law to be brought to bear on their lives. And this revival wasn't just emotionalism. It wasn't just endless songs that they wanted, although songs are good, but it was the explanation of Scripture. And that's one of the marks of a a work of God is God's Word is going to be hungered for and it's going to be heard. They're not saying, bring us current events. Just bring us your cultural insights or, or bring us your cool ideas or just some comfortable pep talks. No, they're saying, bring the word, bring the book, bring it to us, bring the Bible. Do you have a word? We're, we're, we're here. We would see the Lord. We want his word. God's people want God's messenger to bring God's book and to know that God's truth hurts. It stings, but they also know that's what a faithful believer brings. And that we would have that same heart. Bring it on. Bring it to me. Bring the word. And the context for this starts 14 years earlier. Ezra is mentioned as the man they called for. Ezra chapter 7 says, Ezra, this was earlier, went up to Babylon. And he was a, went up from Babylon. So he went back to Jerusalem. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses. The hand of the Lord his God was upon him. And here's what it says, why he was blessed in this way. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. So he had set his heart. He had devoted himself to the study of God's law. He wasn't just practicing what he preached. He he was practicing it before he preached. It was already incorporated into his life. 
He set his heart, it says, he prepared his heart to seek and to, to practice it, like James talks about being a doer of the word and not a hearer only, deceiving yourselves. So he practiced it, and then he came to teach it. That's, that's the pattern. Learn it. Live it out, and then let it out. And then try to find others who want to listen and can repeat that process. That's really making disciples. James 1.25 says, if you look intently at God's perfect law, you've got to look at God's law and abide by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. That's the one who's going to be blessed. We need to look at it and how it applies to us. There was a man in the 1700s named Roland Hill who was a powerful biblical preacher. But he argued that your duty to listen attentively does not depend on the preacher. This is what you're called to do. It's not about his delivery or oratorical ability or lack thereof. It's, a, it's about what is read and what is spoken and most importantly, who it is from. In this case, it's, it's from the loving Lord if the message is going forth accurately. And so here's what Roland Hill said for those who may not prefer a certain preacher's delivery. Supposing you went to hear the will of one of your relatives read, and you were expecting a legacy from him. So he's, he's died, but now there's a legacy, and, and, and there's a reading of it. You would hardly think of criticizing the manner in which the lawyer read the will. Oh, he stumbled over a word here. I just didn't do as much for me. No, you would be attentive. You're there to listen because you want to hear, is there something for me? Is there something that has been left to me? And, and what is it? And how much is it? He says, that's what we need to hear from God's word. There is always something for us. There is always some treasure. There's some inheritance. There's some benefit for us. And that's what these people are asking for and why they're asking, bring the book. Is that your cry? Is that your craving? Do you want more of God's word this next year than this last year? Pray for your soul, that God would stir your soul as you come and before you come so that you can listen attentively. And then number two, listen reverently. In verses four through six, we see they stood in reverence. And then we saw they bow in reverence in verse six. Ezra, I think, is even modeling this as, as it had said earlier in the book of Ezra, speaking of his reverence for God's word, Ezra 9, 4, everyone who trembled at the words of the God of Israel on account of the unfaithfulness of the exiles gathered to me. So Ezra is saying that people gathered to him who trembled at God's word, who, who took God's word seriously. And there's a humility there that James says, in humility... Receive the word. If you're proud, you're, you're not going to think you need it. Pride can even come into your mind. You can be tempted even while you're here in church to just kind of sit back rather than to really humbly receive the word, see your need for the word. And there's even some things about this scene here that they, they wanted to, to make a statement, I think, with this raised platform. Part of that is, is practical so they can see him, but I think also they're elevating the, the word, and, and there's a sense in which it's, it's showing that they're under the word. There's, there's a tradition in the churches of Scotland, I'm told about, where they would, in church, solemnly carry the Bible out. It was a big deal in, in their Jewish culture when they would bring the, the Torah out, but in, in Scotland, they would 
they would come out and there would be a man holding a, a great big Bible and he would walk all the way down. But as he's walking, he's making sure that Bible is above everyone in the room and he's carrying it. And then before the preacher even comes to the pulpit, they come and they set this massive Bible on the, on the pulpit to make a statement even visibly that all people, the preacher included, are under the authority of the Word of God. All those things that they did or the Jews did could become traditions, but the the truth is when you elevate God and his word rightly, you're going to be lowering yourself. You're going to be putting yourself under it. And that's what we see Ezra model in verse 6. Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, amen, amen, lifting up their hands, maybe even as to show like lifting up the word. And then notice also they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. There's a whole spectrum in their worship as the exuberance of, of lifting up their hands, but then also the lowliness, their face close to the ground. And I think a high view of God and his word should drive high praise and then humble, lowly worship at the same time. If we are listening reverently, if we're trembling at God's word, God says in Isaiah, that's the kind of person he's looking for. Someone who is humble, contrite in spirit, and who trembles at my word. Do you tremble at God's word? Do you listen to it with the gravity and weightiness and reverence that God's holy word deserves? We need, and I include myself in this, we need more serious and sustained honor of God's word in our actions and in our attitudes. We can be so casual and so flippant about God's word, but we need to give it the reverence that it deserves as we listen to it and then listen responsibly. And it really starts in verse 6. As they say, amen, amen, they're lifting up their hands, the book is open, they're Their mouths are open, their hands are open as if to receive what they love. And that may make some of you uncomfortable. If you feel like we need to be as still and as quiet as possible in church, we need to sit on our hands. You know, we don't kneel like Catholics. We don't get exuberance or as emotional as the charismatics do. Or maybe you think it's only those southern or ethnic churches that say amen or or the good Presbyterians say amen. But verse 6 is in the Bible. And Psalm 134, verse 2, lift up your hands to the holy place. Not just the Old Testament, the New Testament says men are to lift up holy hands in prayer, 1 Timothy 2, 8. The New Testament expects that that we would say amen as God is lifted up in a church service, 1 Corinthians 14, 16. And in Revelation 7, true worship includes in glory saying amen. And I think we would do well to practice that a little more before glory. (laughs) it would do us well to be more engaged and more responsive to God's word. At least nod your head every once in a while. Not nodding and drowsiness, but at least some sort of movement to, to know you're tracking. Or be a radical Christian. There's always books about being a radical Christian, but here's one. Smile. Smile once in a while so people know you're not uptight or upset. 
There should be a joy of the Lord and, and respond in some way. And maybe it's for you writing something down. Maybe it's saying amen. Maybe it's talking with someone after, but afterwards, but doing more. And it's okay to lift up your hands in worship, but we're definitely called to lift up our voice in song. And if there's anything that should move us more to respond more, it should be the living word of our living God. At least our, our hearts should leap in praise and our, our souls should bow down. doesn't mean you have to have your face down to the ground, but it would do us well sometimes to be on our knees more. And why not our lips and our lives impacted in some way? In fact, in verse 11, they had to quiet the people. They had to calm the people down from weeping. So here's another part of the, of the spectrum Have you ever just been grieved as you hear the word of God and you realize how you've been violating God's law, God's gospel? There's times we should respond in tears. There's times we should be torn up by the word. If if there aren't times like that, we're not hearing it rightly. Warren Wearsby said, we don't treat it like the word of God. We're also in too big of a hurry to have our time in the Word or at church end. In some parts of the world, especially before the collapse of the communist bloc in in Eastern Europe and Russia and different places, there would be people standing literally for hours to hear the Word of God read. We had a lady here who gave her testimony many years ago about how they didn't have a copy of God's word for themselves. There was one Bible for their village and the believers in the church. They, they each got to tear off a page. And that was the Bible they had. And I remember I read a book from someone who went back to Russia. And he was, as he was preaching in different churches, he noticed all these people have notebooks. And they weren't taking notes. In those notebooks, they had been copying by hand God's word because they didn't have God's word for them. Boy, we take God's word so lightly, but it it is a a treasure. It's our lifeblood. And and verse 3 says, this happened from early morning to midday. That's at least five hours as they're hearing God's word. And and verse 8 talks about how the leaders broke it up. It says, they read from the book, from the law of God clearly. Or the ESV footnote has, with interpretation or paragraph by paragraph. Another translation says they were translating and giving the, the meaning. So even as we'll be going through the law next year, we're going to be going section by section, interpreting what it means. And verse 8, when it says it, it, they broke it down for them, it wasn't just into sections. They were breaking down what it meant. They were explaining Hebrew words that some might not have known or understood from living in Babylon. I think if, if they needed to do that for these Jews, just one generation removed... How much more do we need help understanding what the words mean from the Hebrew or Greek language so many years ago? And you see, what they understood their job was, was not to be an innovator or an inventor of something new. The messenger of God is to see himself as a waiter, as a waiter who is to, to deliver the food. I, I don't create the, the food. My, my job is to bring it and, and not to mess it up. You think of a, a steward on an airplane, their, their job is to deliver with care and to not spill it. But your job is to not just watch, you're to take it in, you're to make it yours, you're to taste and see, 
that the Lord is good in his word. We'll see that next week in 1 Peter 2. You need to chew it. You need to digest it. And here's what verse 10 says. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to our Lord and do not be grieved. He says it again, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. This isn't just the foundation of church preaching. You might say this is the foundation of church potlucks, right? I mean, they're having a meal. They're, they're gathering. I say that a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but we, we are having and hoping we can do more next year, gathering together for meals together. Is, this is one of the things in the early church. Acts 2 says, with teaching, the early church devoted themselves to, to the fellowship, and they had food together in their homes That's another thing we can pray for and pursue more, having meals together with people from our family of faith. And there's a joy of the Lord that was a part of their response and would be their strength. I've had way too many sweets over the holidays. You know how it is when there's something sweet, it's it's something you want more of. And and what the sweetness for God's people is, was the word of God. It was the fellowship, and they wanted more. They, they tasted, and they saw that it was good, and they wanted more. And we need our spiritual taste buds revived at times. And verse 12 says, They had a celebration with great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. They understood the Bible more, and that was cause for rejoicing. But it didn't stop there. Notice in verse 13, it went further. Some, the heads of household gathered during the week to study more. They were taking seriously their responsibility to be equipped to help teach and lead their homes. There's a word here for us men. Don't leave that to the ladies. Be men of the book. Step up. When you have opportunities, speak up. When you're in, in groups, Lead in prayer. Lead your family in some way. This Friday at 6 a.m., you can join us men for a study the pastors are going through on on how to study and apply God's Word. There's also on Tuesday nights men's groups that are gathering, going through studies. You can talk to Robin or, or Sean. There's our discipleship class that we're going through right now for anyone. There's also a class specifically for for women. There's women's Bible studies here on Monday and in various times, but We're going to need more of God's word if we're going to grow. The Bible is the fuel for our heart's revival. And so that takes us to the last point, because it doesn't really end here in chapter 8. It keeps going, and that is we need to live differently with confession and commitment. And this is really the the test of of revival. It's not how you felt or the buzz that was at a certain meeting or, or that you stayed and you just felt wonderful things as you were singing. But there's a, a, a new life, a, a different life. And this is what we see at the rest of the chapter. Israel responded immediately and obediently. They began to actually live differently. They neglected certain commands of the law. And, and now they're, they're, they're being corrected by the law. They're actually literally living differently now in booths during this very week. The, the first, every day of the week, verse 18, they, they kept hearing it. And their lifestyle altered that week. There were practical changes in how and where they lived and even what they did that week. When they saw what the word said, they were neglecting what they were supposed to be doing. 
They changed their lives by God's grace. This wasn't like a, a New Year's resolution where you just want to work out or eat better, and some of you have done that, and it lasts about a week. This is something that kept going, and that's what a true revival in your heart will look like. There's going to be life change in some area. If you're revived, you'll live differently. And that's what we see in chapter 9. Look at chapter 9, verse 1. Now on the 24th day of the month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners. That means the pagans. And they stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law their God for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it, they made confession and worship the Lord their God. If I have the calendar right. This is 24 days into this revival. And there's still hours for the word, hours for worship, hours for confession. Many of us, myself included, need to grow in prayer next year. It's an area where we can become complacent. And and I have, and as I read chapter 9, this is an exhortation to me, and, a, and I think a help there is you, is you see how they pray through. They, they're really praying through the Exodus story in chapter 9. And, and this is a great example of how you can just pray through what God has done in the past and then the exaltation of God that we need today. And they're confessing their sin, and there's a model of how to do that. When was the last time you confessed your sin to the Lord? where you were just convicted and you just had to get into a quiet place and just ask God to forgive you and change you. Even a a part of a minute. In verse 3, it was a big part of their day. Have you ever fasted part of a day because of a sin that you are craving more than God? And and you want to be reminded, even as, as you hunger for that, you need to hunger for God more. Maybe you don't read God's book for a quarter of the day like they did here. But can you start for a quarter of an hour? You can't. You know what? If you read God's word consistently, systematically for 15 minutes every day, you can read through the whole Bible in a year. Depending on your speed of reading, it might take a little longer for some. I want to give you some through the Bible resources. If you want to, and, and there's different ones, not just through the whole Bible, but through the New Testament in 90 days or through the Psalms or through the Proverbs. But if you just search on Ligonier Bible reading plans, there's a number of different plans that you can print out that can help you. Crossway.com or .org has also resources that can every day give you a, 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 a pop-up and have a, a, a voice to help you read along with the, the Scripture. But if, if you don't deal with sin and confession, it's not just a, a matter of, of trying to get better habits If you're not confessing your sin, your commitment for God's word is going to be affected. And that's why the next passage in 1 Peter 2, I think, starts with talking about dealing with sin in our life so that we would hunger and crave for God's word. The Bible and sin don't mix, as you've heard before. This this book will keep you from sin, but sin will keep you from what? This book. There's two sides of that. Some of us need serious time to confess and forsake our sins from this past year and to pray and pursue God in his word daily. If you're not praying, if you're not reading his word and repenting regularly, start by confessing that. 
If you aren't doing that, you may not be saved. That's something you have to consider. You can't be revived unless you are alive spiritually. Maybe you had patterns of this in your life before, but now you don't. You need to be revived. But if this has never been your pattern, you ultimately need to ask God to give you that life, give you that desire, that he would be number one in your life to confess your sin and to confess that Jesus is your Lord and to commit to him, to live for him and and to trust what he did for you, his life and death and then his resurrected life is what can make you have a different life and live differently by trusting him alone. James 1 says we need to lay aside all sinfulness and with meekness receive the word which is able to save your soul. And as we do that, the Lord joins himself to believers who grow together as as they join his local churches. So some of you need to confess you need the body. Some of you need to commit to the church as as members for your spiritual growth in this next year. Some people think, well, I don't know that we see really in the Bible community, you know, covenants where people signed their names down or where they did something in, in writing. It was just kind of assumed. Well, look, look again at chapter 9, verse 38. And they say, because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing on the sealed documents are the names, and then it lists all the different categories of people, but it wasn't just their leaders. Chapter 10, verse 28, chapter 10, verse 28 says, the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding join with their brothers. So their, their leaders joined First, their signatures in writing on paper, and then the people joined with them in the covenant. And, and what was their covenant commitment? End of verse 29. To observe all that the Lord had commanded together. We're going to together observe all the Lord's commands. And in verses 30 through 31, chapter 10, they're committing to raise their children, not to, not to just be like the world or to marry pagans. They're committing to honor God's day. In the rest of the chapter, they're committing to give regularly. They say at the end of verse 39, we will not neglect the house of our God. That's very much what our church covenant commitments in writing do as well. And if you're not committed to that, why would you not want to commit to that? Some of you maybe are holding back growth by not committing. or Some of you are members here, but you're not serving. Why are you not serving other people? Where are you holding back and why? And and what will you do next year more to to grow? I think all of us need to consider our commitment. We need to confess any complacency. And we need to commit to live differently next year. Don't stay in sin. Don't stay sitting if that's you or stagnating. There is strength And it's in the joy of the Lord. And I want to make sure we end on this note of the joy of the Lord. The Lord Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy, this is the Lord speaking, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is the Lord for our good. The Lord Jesus. We can say the joy of the Lord Jesus is our strength. And if you hear his word preached, if you understand his word more, thank him then and there. 
Anytime another insight comes to you, stop and just thank the Lord, praise him, and rejoice in all that he's done and the privilege that many don't have. Robert Murray McShane is one of those who has a Bible reading plan, which is an an excellent one to look at. But I want to read this quote together. I want us all to read it out loud together because we need to end looking to Jesus. Let's read this out loud. Learn much of the Lord Jesus. For every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. He is altogether lovely, such infinite majesty, and all for sinners, even the chief. Live much in the smiles of God. Bask in his beams. Feel his all-seeing eyes settled on you in love and repose. That's rest in his almighty arms. Let your soul be filled with a heart-ravishing sense of the sweetness and excellency of Christ and all that is in him. Amen. Amen. Let's pray that God would revive our hearts through Christ, through his Spirit that we would hear more attentively and reverently and responsively and with the Spirit's help. In some specific way, let's live differently this next year for his glory. Revive us again. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Our God, we confess, I confess, Lord, I fall short of these great truths, I want to be more like Ezra, to not just study the law, not just study your word, but to to practice it more, to be changed by it more, to love it more, to live it more, and I pray that you would help us all too. I pray, Lord, even right now, if there is a sin convicting any of us, Lord, that in our hearts and minds right now we would be confessing that, but also that we would take serious time to ask your help to change us, to grow so that that sin would not prevent our growth. I pray that we would take in your word more and that we would speak it more for the sake of our own soul, our family, and for the nations that we prayed about, the missionaries as well. Help us in some way to spread your gospel more this next year through our giving, through our living, through our witnessing. We pray this for the glory of Christ. Amen.